0: Hey crew, what up? Taylor Welch here. Have you ever wondered how traffic and funnels grew so fast? I mean, four years ago, the company was nothing. Nobody knew who we were. We didn't have any revenue, no clients, no products, no content. And we noticed really quickly that we had something special, but it's not just that Chris and Taylor are special. There are processes, recipes, concepts, materials, foundational strategies that have allowed us to go from zero to eight figures in about three and a half years. And one of the things we do that's really cool and I think it's really fun for a lot of our clients is we publish our learning lessons every single month. It's about eight to 10 pages. In fact, the most recent one was a little bit longer. We talk about how to hire, how to find people, how to run advertising, our recent marketing tactics, some of our strategies for sales. We cover every element of how to grow a healthy, predictable, successful, and most importantly, growing client business, and people rave about this. We've got almost 6,000 people subscribe to this every single month, and we'll actually ship it to you, maybe your office, your home, wherever you tell us to ship it to you, and every single month, we include some extra perks to it, sometimes audio content, sometimes some video content. It's one of the best programs that you can be in, I think, in the world if you run a client business, and the best part is it's very, very affordable. We've tried to price this at a level that anybody can be a part of it who needs it and who wants it. So you can check it out at trafficandfunnels.com iam Iam, basically Insiders Access Monthly, I-A-M, trafficandfunnels.com I-A-M. We'll send you out the first package as soon as you hop in. And I'm telling you, this is one of the most fantastic ways that you can learn from the mistakes and the growth curves of other people. Check it out. Let us know what you think. Talk soon. You're listening to the smartest guys in marketing, the best show on the planet for client businesses to learn about traffic, funnels, sales, conversions, and marketing coolness. Chris and Taylor are the founders of Traffic and Funnels, a digital marketing consultancy helping you get paid clients from cold traffic daily. Now, here are your hosts, Chris and Taylor.
1: What's up, Tyler Basu here, and I have a very special guest, the man, the myth, the legend, Taylor Welch, co-founder of Traffic and Funnels. Thank you so much for being here, man. It's a pleasure to, uh, to speak with you today.
0: Dude, it's a, sple- it's a pleasure to be on with you because you are the coolest guy in Canada. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Do you, uh,
1: do, you, do you know many Canadians or uh, most of the people you talk to well, over in America?
0: We had Glenn, who was our media buyer for a while, and he lives in yeah. Saskatchewan, Okay. Um. And we could never mail him stuff because it kept getting like eaten by bears and stuff on the right. way to his house. Then Zach Friesen was our video guy, and he lived in Canada for a while. So I just mm-hmm. I am one with the Canadians. There, uh, you know, there's a few of us that are doing some pretty cool things, man. I got I got to say, you got Kawhi Leonard on the Canadian side now, and it's like mm-hmm. you know right. I got to be a fan.
1: Sounds good, man. Now, um, listen, I gave away um I gave away a little bit of your background in the intro. I recorded for the, uh, for the podcast episode, but I want to hear like in your words, cause it doesn't seem like, you know, you don't really have one of those backstories where you were kind of destined or it was very clear that you were on your way to being in business. Like you don't have the whole lemonade stand story or flipping baseball cards or whatever. Um, so tell us about like when and why did you actually decide to get into business? Like what triggered your interest in business in the first place?
0: So I got into marketing because of a woman and she is now my wife, Lindsay. And I was working, so I worked at a church. I did not want to be an entrepreneur. Um, I didn't even know, I didn't know what, I didn't know there was a world called entrepreneurship. It wasn't cool when I was growing up. And, uh, but my wife was a hairstylist. She uh, was the sugar mama and she made more money than I did. And it never really bothered me until we moved to Memphis and my wife let her business go so she could come with me to Memphis. And she didn't have any clients and she was just starting out. And I remember one day I was like, you know, um, I need to figure out how to help my wife get more clients. So I picked up a book on marketing. It was actually about copywriting. Uh-huh. And this was in like 2014, um, like the early summer of 2014. And I learned what copywriting was and we bought a course and a Packet of direct mail addresses, and I wrote a sales letter. It was the worst sales letter I've ever written in my life, but it worked, and she got two clients from it. And I did the math, and I was like, "I am a marketing genius. I'm the god of marketing, <laughs> right. basically." Um, and uh, and so from there, my natural mental state at the time was like, you know, if if I could help. I was making $1,700, $1,800 a month at a real estate company. I transitioned off staff at the church and I was working real estate. And I was like, if I can help her get 1800 a month in clients, mm-hmm. I can quit my job and do nothing. Yep. That was my grand vision. And okay. that's as far as it went. <laughs> so it didn't, um, it, there wasn't really the
1: intention of like starting no. a company, start building a big no. business. It was more so like, Hey, how could I, as a freelancer, get a couple of clients and get out of this job? That was the motivation at the beginning. Um, And so just for context, how long did you, like, when did you get out of the job? How long did you spend as a freelancer? Uh, Bring us up to there and and then we'll cover starting traffic and funnels.
0: Yep. So as soon as I helped her get our clients, we kept doing that. And then uh, I just randomly connected with a buddy of mine in a group and I wrote some copy for him. Okay. And it worked, and then I started trying to get my own clients. This is like the summer of 2014 into like August 2014. I went six months trying to get more clients. I couldn't get any more clients, and I w- it wasn't even working for Lindsay either. So we kind of backslid a little bit from there, and in November or December, I picked up a really big client, picked up another big client in February, replaced my income, quit my job in 2015. Okay, And my goal when I quit my job was I wanted to get to six figures in 2015, which is- Per per year? Yep. Okay. $300 a month. And when we got to June, I did over $30,000 in copywriting fees in June. And we started Traffic and Funnels in late September 2015. And in January 2015, we did over six figures that month.
1: Very cool. Okay. And what was, um, what was the actual offer as a freelancer? Like, just tell us a little bit about how you packaged yourself and priced yourself to be able to get to that, uh, the 30 K a month, let's say.
0: Yeah. So I was so fortunate because you probably know these names now, but guys like Kevin Rogers and mm-hmm. Ryan Levesque and uh, all of these guys who were, who were kind of successful and big deal gurus at the time, I approached those guys and I was like, I'll do whatever you need for free. And they saw potential in me. And um, they helped me develop who I was going after and who I was targeting. So my freelance offer that built me to that 30K month in June was I was writing copy for Infusionsoft users. Mm -hmm. And I was also orchestrating and configuring the funnels. So I was doing both. And I got certified with Infusionsofts and uh, there, were, there were all these sorts of things that happened. And I was like, maybe this won't work. Maybe this will work. Maybe I'll be an Infusionsoft guy if I can't figure out how to get the copywriter to work. If, if Infusionsoft doesn't work, I'll just be a copywriter. And they all kind of mixed together to where I was able to offer uh, a, a targeted service to a very specific group of people. And I was the Infusionsoft copywriter. Like, that's how I branded myself. I was only working with people in Infusionsoft. Got it. Okay. And so for for,
1: for all intents and purposes, because your original goal was... Hey, replace replace what I make in my day job and work for myself. You accomplish that relatively quickly, you know, shortly after leaving, after setting that intention, it didn't take a ton of time, didn't take several years, for example, to get there. Um, what drove you to grow beyond that, start a company and just and instead of staying in that kind of, you know, freelancer kind of lifestyle? There?
0: Yeah. I think it's two things. And first of all, it seems like, it feels like it happened really quick. Mm-hmm. The, if you look back at my life, the, the what's real is looking at it like I was, I never knew what an entrepreneur was, but I was kind of born and built and groomed for it my whole life. My dad is probably one of the biggest influences in my life. He was a VP of sales for Allstate, massive company. I remember him forcing me to go to John Maxwell seminars when I was like 11. I'm like... Okay. This is not what an 11-year-old wants to do, <laughs> sit in a stadium, like, hearing old guys talk about corporate leadership. <laughs> this is the worst idea ever. But he told me I could get Chick-fil-A if I went. And I just have all these memories of, like, as a kid, and, like, none of it made any sense. And then it's, it, was, it was almost like pouring gasoline on, on like, a small fire when, okay. when I had my first real big month. It was like, oh, the game, the game, the game, the game, the game. This is what the whole life has been about, like the game. This is what Lencioni was talking about when I was 11 and John Maxwell talked about when I was 12 is like how to become a, a person of growth and how to, have, how to be growing in every area of your life and win in every area of your life and, and it just kind of caught wind when I figured out that I can use all of these things that my dad had instilled in me and the pain that I had gone through in different areas, I could use all of that to not only change people's lives, but make a, a, a lot of money. And so I think I got addicted to the game and the money was like, cool. Oh, interesting story is like when I had that $30,000 a month, I was like really depressed for like four days. I wanted to give all the money back. I felt really guilty for making that much money. Weird stuff, dude, it was like nobody okay. talks about, but I was like 30,000 in a month, like my goal was six figures, like what am I going to do? and like why am i doing this like we're rich like babe we're freaking rich i remember we went to red lobster and we celebrated and it's just like this weird feeling but then i just was like what if i can do it again right and it was less about the money and it all of a sudden it became about like well if i can do 30k knowing what i know now what could i do when i know more it was a game you know
1: right right i think the game became you just like pushing yourself to see what's possible and not stopping at any at any given level. Um, now, I want to unpack the the actual stages of growth of Traffic and Funnels because it's a very impressive growth rate. I want to unpack what you were focused on, what challenges you were dealing with at each stage. But, but for context, tell us, um, since you've started, you and, and, your, and, and your co-founder, Chris, have started Traffic and Funnels, that was beginning of uh, 2015, correct? So it's
0: that been was September, September of 2015. Got it. So okay. we'll hit four years in september this year got it okay
1: um tell us for context how much it has grown uh like whatever you're willing to share if you can share current revenue numbers number of employees number of
0: clients you've helped number of offers geez um we probably have 30 to 40 employees okay um we average 1.2 ish a month in revenue just for TF. Okay. Um, sales mentor, real estate, those are separate. We're probably, we're probably batting around a million and a half right now on monthly okay. receipts. Um, and that's I, from all,
1: all, cause it's, so there's more than one company at this point. There's like, Yep. okay. So how many companies in total are you overseeing and a part of four? Four, okay. Four total. Yep. And then number um, of number of clients helped
0: over the years. If you include like customers and everything, mm-hmm. over ten thousand. Just clients like one on one and like you know, working together personally, probably twelve hundred something like that. But things are crazy. I saw your post and some of the questions which are awesome. But dude, we're, we're in a place that I never thought we'd be at where it's like, we don't make decisions on money anymore. We, we're kind of making decisions based on how, how many people do we think we could, we could get into the movement? Like how many people do yeah. we think we could rally together? Sure. Um, and we'll, we'll invest a lot of money. There, there are pieces of our business that are not profitable just because it's like an impact. It's a mouthpiece. And then there are pieces of our business that are extremely profitable mm-hmm. Uh, this kind of all mixes together. We're doing the real estate thing now. I just signed purchase contracts for almost a million dollars in real estate this week. We're at $822,000 in real estate. I know you're in real estate game too. So we're just growing, trying to get, trying to do things the right way, you know? Cool. Cool, man. No, that's good stuff. So for somebody who's like,
1: you know, sees that growth rate and if we could div- like divide that up into stages because especially for those that are early in the game, trying to go from freelancer to business owner, they're just starting to like actually build teams and, and go beyond just, you know, working with a small handful of people. Um, there's stages to that growth and there's different challenges that come with each of those stages. So if you could like define those stages, what would you consider to be the first stage that you guys went through? Like from zero to, to what number in revenue and what, what was the, like the main thing you were focused on during that stage?
0: Yeah, zero to seven figures is the easiest. It's the beginning. It's the it's the place where you have to figure out what value you offer people in exchange for money. And it's where you deal with it's where you deal with all of the mental turbulence of feeling guilty for wanting a lot of money. And all of those all of the baggage, but probably everyone listening to this is like, ah, I wouldn't feel guilty for having money. But if you actually look, your goals are really low and they're probably really low because if you set a big goal, you feel weird. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's mental. That's all the mental game. You have to figure out your value. You have to figure out how you sell it. And that took us, you know, Chris had been a marketer for like six years before we connected. Um, He built big names. He was involved in Porterfield launches and uh, Todd Herman launches. And like, he was very well thought of and respected in the marketing world. Mm -hmm. And then I was this new, like up and comer, crazy spastic uh, move really quickly very talented but yet unrefined and then when yep. we connected we i feel like we sped through the zero to seven figures quickly because we had the experience and we have found mentors we had yeah. one really good mentor that really helped us get past seven figures in like really record time okay and so
1: so seven figures per year that works out to about little over eighty thousand per revenue per, uh, per month mm-hmm. Um, what were the primary skill sets that you and Chris leaned on that got you to the eighty thousand per month revenue?
0: Having a good offer and sales and then finding the right people, but you don't need that much pe- that many people. This right. is eighty three thousand dollars is ten clients at eighty three hundred. Yep. And you just work up the spectrum. So you don't need that much people, but fixing sales and getting the offer good paramount. Okay. Awesome. So the so these are kind of like the foundations, right? Good offer
1: good sales process and a little bit of volume. You didn't need a whole lot of like call volume with potential clients to get your eight or 10 clients a month. Nope. Yep. Awesome. And that, that's what got you to seven figures per year. It's amazing how simple it sounds. And I feel like people will really overcomplicate that and get away from the basics. Like totally. you know. um, the next stage going from, let's say, you know, 80 grand a month or whatever, whatever the math is. Uh, to whatever you consider the next stage, what were you guys focused on then? What were the biggest challenges you had to overcome and to to continue the growth rate?
0: I think the next I think the next challenge wasn't as much of a volume thing; it was more of a consistent. The next plateau that I can think of was 500k, um, okay. but we did struggle for a little bit past $100,000 a month. And that, but it wasn't a volume struggle; it was a consistency play. Like we were having difficulty maintaining that batting average and things would bounce around and we would have a month where we would do 180 in sales and we'd be like, oh my God, we have so much money. And then we would do 75. And it was just like being tortured alive because <laughs> we didn't really know what was causing the variance, you okay. know? And that's where paid traffic became a really big deal because we had paid traffic, we had the organic, the hyperorganic, and the the mixture of those different lead sources mm-hmm. evened out. So the right
1: there wasn't, it was like, was it one's one source of, of leads that got you to seven figures and then Facebook. then you started diversifying lead sources? Yep. Okay. Yep. And so for you to get from seven figures a year to multiple seven figures per
0: year, you're now, you're now advertising in more than one place. And yeah, and it was also us not doing all the other things that people do, like starting a course, right? <laughs> because, because we had like two or three months of hundred K then we were like, we're going to start a newsletter. We'll sell it for $79 a month. And we got distracted. We started selling that. And the thing is, we sold the newsletter, but it was cannibalizing the main business because our focus was split. And there it was like, oh, we can't do that. And we just kind of worked through a couple different issues to get consistent. Yeah. And then as soon as we kind of got consistency, minimum was four hundred dollars a month. And we were typically over five hundred. dollars This was the most difficult barrier to get past because we got caught at like half a million dollars a month because then it becomes about team and we don't know anything about building a team. Got it. Okay. So to get from that stage
1: of going from half a million a month to cracking a million a month, there was a huge focus on
0: growing the team during that stage? Yeah. Like getting from getting from half a million dollars a month to like 550000 a month was like big, big okay. chasm. Yeah. Because everything was starting. You think about, you know, the program is, 10K and you have a back end, which is mm-hmm. the typical like high ticket models, front end, back end. And dude, you're, you're talking about 30 clients in a month. How mm-hmm. do you get all those people results when it's just you? And then mm-hmm. things are breaking clients are refunding and dude, it's just you're, you're, you'll get ripped apart if you don't have people on, on the team who can help you grow. Yeah. Yeah,
1: for sure. So how, how do you remember roughly how big your team was getting to 500 K per month? like four. Wow. Okay. Very interesting. And then to go from 500 to where you are now, that's where the, 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 the much faster growth in team size has been necessary to make that happen. Yes. What have you learned about growing and managing teams? What's what are some of the things you you've learned to do? Right. And um, were there any people you leaned on to help learn, learn that stuff?
0: Um, what we should have, but we kind of learned by doing everything wrong. I hate to say. Uh, No, no, that's fair point. What I respect about you though, is, um,
1: like you don't do everything right, but the things that you do wrong, you get through them very quickly. Yes. It's very, very, very fast. Like a month would go by and the amount of lessons that Taylor has learned, if you stack that against somebody else whose month just went by, they might have a a much smaller list of lessons learned. (laughs) Does that make sense? I don't,
0: I don't, yeah, I don't think it's because it's it, the only difference there that I feel like is, is why that is, is because we're honest and we are self aware. And I think a lot of people will make a mistake in a month and then they'll, they will not sit down and have truthful conversations with themselves. Okay. So then when you miss that honesty piece, what happens is, you know, I may make all of the mistakes in the book in the month of June, but I won't repeat any of them in July.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. because
0: They're documented. Whereas somebody else, makes all the mistakes in the book in June, and then they go on vacation they don't ever sit down and think about what they screwed up, Mm -hmm. and then they repeat 70% of those mistakes in July, then 50% of those mistakes in August. Then before you know it, it's just like, man, you're losing team members, nobody respects you, it's like you you don't have the ability to learn, your self-awareness is low, that's really what hurts people. Mm -hmm. Making mistakes isn't bad making the same mistakes over and over cuz you're not actually processing and learning from your mistakes. John Maxwell says, "Good management of bad behaviors equals growth." Or a good management of a bad situation equals growth. And yeah. most of the people have bad manage they have bad management. They don't they don't take time to manage what they're learning. I think that's a big key. Mm okay no that that makes a lot of sense
1: would you say that you're um like a very data driven guy like is there is there much ego in your decision making or are you like let's look at the numbers and face the truth kind of a person
0: now there's hardly any ego in my decision making when we want to talk about 2018 or 2017 there was a lot mm-hmm.
1: i used to get a kick out of seeing you respond to uh haters on your ads.
0: Yeah, like, I, I could literally I really
1: like it. instead of watching Netflix, I'd go spend an hour and look at the comments on your ads, and I could. I, I, I respected you because you're super sharp, and I, I saw the intelligence. But I also got a kick out of seeing how you handled some of the uh, some of the hate that came your way as as you reached a lot more people with your marketing.
0: There's nothing wrong with that, except for Chris one time sat me down and was like, "Do you realize that you are producing over seven thousand dollars an hour?"
1: Yeah. So like, why spend your time on that?
0: What are you, yeah. He was like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you're not making money there. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Sorry.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So uh, what, when um, the more, the, the one of the, the more recent milestones, it was a couple months back or in, in 2019 that you guys had passed a million a month. What, um, what do you think allowed you to get there? Uh, and when you got, when you hit that, what, it, what did you have in place? Like in terms of focus, Uh, Maybe number of offers, just kind of break down the mechanics uh, and the components of your business that when it reached seven figures per month in revenue.
0: Yeah, we kind of deviated from the traditional high ticket business Mm -hmm. Um, and we're deviating more and more every single month, which is important. And we may circle back to that later. But um, most people have a front end and a back end and we have a, we changed and we have Top of funnel, middle funnel, bottom funnel. So we have offers at the very at the very top that are for anybody. They can mm-hmm. be seven dollars, they can be uh five hundred dollars, but they're low ticket, and then we have offers in the middle that are consultative, and those are gonna be five figures, and then we have offers at the bottom that are twenty-four thousand a year up. Mm-hmm. Right? So The way we are able to do that is we have a team, obviously we have uh, the the resources in place now to manage that team. And I don't think that this is something that everybody should take on on right now because um, you have to figure out as an entrepreneur like what your single greatest contribution is to the company. And mine is product creation and content and consulting and being with clients. And Chris's tends to be strategy and people and higher level, more sophisticated things. In January we started this new model and we started hiring a bunch of people and January was decent. February was good. March was better. April was better. And last month was a record month. We did several thousand Mm -hmm. customers. Mm -hmm. So I think we had over almost 5,000 transactions in the month of May. Wow. Yeah. Okay, cool.
1: Now you, you mentioned earlier, um, the mindset stuff that happened. Like when you, even as a freelancer, when you, know, you had set the goal to make six figures a year, you made 30K in one month. Realize, okay, you could probably make more than six figures a year, probably multiple six figures if you push a little harder. And that kind of recalibrated your mind in that moment. But it seems like that pattern has had to repeat itself multiple times because you haven't, you've never plateaued at any level for too long, which to me says you don't get comfortable with any level for too long like you'll hit the you'll hit that level something's going on in your mind and then you're pushing for the next level so walk us through how you're getting comfortable with these higher 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 levels and why you keep pushing forward in the first place
0: so this is my favorite topic of all time i could talk about this for literal days on ends everybody does it different but there are i think normalization there are two areas of normalization normalization just means what it sounds like you're making something that used to be foreign, you're making it normal, you're making it feel like a normal thing. People is the first area of normalization, and things is the second area of normalization. Now, nobody wants to accept that things normalize you. Nobody wants to admit that they're motivated by Rolex.
1: So you're, you're meaning like the things that we have in, in, yeah. in our physical world, the people around us and the things in our environment. Yeah
0: that yeah the house you live in the car you drive like people put morals into that and they so they want to argue the rightness or the wrongness of it rather than acknowledging what's real and just taking advantage of what's real and what's inside of human nature which is to be motivated by status and things Mm -hmm. doesn't matter whether that's right or wrong matters whether it's real and so anyways to to kind of ramp that train of thought on on this like when we did $100,000 a month we quickly went out and tried to find people for whom $100,000 a month was not a big deal it wasn't exciting for them and we tried to develop relationships with them and most of the time the way you develop relationships with those people is you pay them mm-hmm. and you pay to get access to them and and we started getting around heavy hitters in the industry and for them $100,000 a month they can't pay groceries like they're they're and we were like oh my god like this is a, okay. this is crazy and that's the first area is people. And pe- if you're trying to change the worlds, but no one around you is changing the world, you're going to have a difficult time
1: doing yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're, you're standing out like a sore thumb and then, yeah. which is uncomfortable. Which so if you get- study
0: evolutionary psychology, humans are actually optimized to fit in, not to stand yeah. out. If you stand out, you're the one that gets eaten. So
1: you're, you're talking about purposely changing your environment so that you, you're now motivated to fit in, but you're wanting to fit in at, that, at whatever the next level is.
0: hundred percent. hundred percent. Yes. Which means you're going to make decisions and investments and your thinking is going to snap into alignment according to the people around you. That's the first thing. And the second thing is things. And uh, me and Chris just had like a two hour talk about this. Because if you see Chris, you need to tell him that Taylor said, you need to get your classic car. He's been wanting a classic car for a long time. Uh but you know, when you have wealth begin to pour into your life and you have the right people and you fix all of that. Remember one of my sales guys got into a big rut, this is last year. And I started diagnosing because I do a lot of coaching, 90% of my time now is mm-hmm. coaching my staff. This is what I do on a day-to-day basis. And the sales guy was in a rut, and when we started going into his life, he had just had a really big month, made a lot of money, and his life was not on par with the vision he had of himself in the future. And so there was, that's what psychologists would call incongruence. And it's one of the most painful states for a human to stay in. And people do this with their things all the time. They don't want to invest in a new car because Dave Ramsey said not to. And they're just going to try to build their business without it. And it's like, well, you're creating incongruence for yourself because the version of yourself that you want people to see Mm -hmm. isn't the version that you are when you wake up at six in the morning and nobody's there. And if you have that problem, you're heading backwards. This Mm -hmm. is why people literally flip out and sell their business or they just crash their business and they self-destruct is because there's so much incongruence. And the human will can only handle so much incongruence. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And
1: tell us how this affects uh, your decision-making process. Like when you're trying to decide okay, I recognize that I'm at a certain level here and I want to get to this next level. And you're trying to decide how to invest your time and your resources to get there. How does um, like how, how does environment and your willingness to invest in people and things and, um, you know, before you get to that level, you're making these, these investments up front. You're making the changes in your environment up front. So there's kind of a lag, right? There's a lag where you're adopting a new process, changing your environment in anticipation of getting the results that bring you to the next level. So what's going through your mind during, during that, that period of time, if that makes sense?
0: I think, well, the first, first and foremost, what's going through my mind is always fear. Mm-hmm. Just put that on the table. They're like, what, what? Fear. You know, at an eight-figure level, you're not going to have fear anymore. Yes, you are. Fear is primal, and it's wired, and it's something that we can't just solve we have to actually combat it and make decisions regardless of that fear. Because when there's a lag indicator, there's always going to be some bit of worry or fear. Um, dude, I'm I'm getting a, um, this story just applies, so I'm just going to tell it. So there are going to be people who listen to this who are like, oh, what a freaking show off. It's like, I don't care about you. Um, <laughs> so I'm getting a new car and it's expensive. And based on percentages of income, it's actually not that big of a deal. It would be like a normal American you know, driving a Toyota Camry. It's not a big deal. Sure. But I was freaking the literal out two days ago. Because I was like, dude, should I be doing this? It's a lot of money. The down payment is like 28 grand. Like I could get a mentor, like we could get another house. And I was like, I, I don't know if I have the money for this. And it was just this weird thing where I kind of stepped out and I observed myself hmm. having this fear based moment. And it was like, dude, it never ends. does it? It's never going to end. Like no matter how high you get on the mountain, you're always going to have this bit of fear that you have to wrestle with. And so I think the first thing is we have to agree that the best way to make decisions is not based on your current circumstance, but it's based on where you want to be a year from now, 10 years from now, three years from now. And too many people are making decisions based on, well, I only have three grand in the bank right now. Well, (laughs) I respect that and I understand that, but your income is 2,200 a month and you only have 3K in the bank right now. And unless you make a decision to break that pattern, this is you for the rest of your life. And so we have this idea called CVVCR, you probably heard it, choices, validate, vision, creating reality. If 10 grand is a lot of money for you and you don't figure out how to make decisions in spite of that, then 10 grand will always be a lot of money for you. Mm -hmm. And where I wanna be is a place where I can actually go out into the future and and make decisions based on that version of me, even Mm -hmm. when it's scary, Which is going to cause me to level up and normalize. That said, dude, there's wisdom. You know, I think I try to carry six months of expenses, cash on hand. Like I'm hitting all the boxes. You know, it's not like, oh man, I made $100,000 and I'm spending all of it plus 10 grand on a new house that I don't need. It's like, that's silly. But outside of wisdom, it's just like, I have a vision for my life and I drive a certain car in that vision. And so giddy up, let's go.
1: Yeah. So your, your decisions are, are not based on circumstances in the present moment. They are based on um, the vision of the future, yeah. however, however far out that is. And so you, even at, regardless of which level you're at, what stage you're at in business, in other areas of your life, whatever, you're acknowledging that there, there, there is fear. The fear never goes away, but you've, you've found a way to, to, to win against the battle with your own fears.
0: Yes, Absolutely.
1: That's awesome, man. Um, let's talk about energy. Um, optimizing your energy. Uh, you, you are somebody that I know has spent a lot of time learning how to optimize your energy, how to optimize the energy of your teams. You know, it's baked into your habits, your routines, things that you do to keep you at a peak state when you need to be in a peak state. So t-
0: tell us tell us uh, about some of the stuff that you're doing. Um, I actually spend a lot... I mean, there's... Obviously, energy that comes from biology, um, which we can talk about that. And then there's a substantial amount of energy that comes from psychology as well. And so, uh, from a psychological standpoint, uh, vision is like the best driver of energy you'll ever find. Vision, vision and impact are really the two, two heavyweights mm-hmm. there. Because if you know you, you find a mom who is responsible for her children and her children are – uh, drowning in a lake and she's exhausted, it don't, doesn't matter. Like the impact that she's going to have on her children is outweighs whatever she's feeling. So it's kind of an a extreme example, but the same principle applies where it's like my necessity is very high because my impact meter is pretty high and so that tends to drive me, whereas other people, they're just focused on themselves and yeah. their security, their safety. You're not going to have a whole lot of energy uh, if that's the, if you are the main central unit occupying your goals.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and, and this is why I know you have a beef with the term lifestyle entrepreneur, because that kind of implies that my reason for being in business is to pay for my lifestyle. And that's kind of where my goals end. You know, once I'm, I, I'm taking care of me, I'm good, which in a way, maybe it's something to be proud of, but it also can be perceived a, a, as a selfish As a selfish motivation if all you care about is, you know, taking care of yourself. Um, But it does seem like it's a phase or at least a stage that people go through. Because I've asked every guest that I've had on this podcast, I've asked them, how did your definition of success change over time? And they all said, I've recognized this pattern in all of them, that there was a stage where they were motivated just to take care of themselves and their family. Make sure that their expenses were covered. Check that box. And then the shift to being motivated by impacting others and reaching way more people came into play. Kind of like the whole, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs type of thing. So, would you say that that's true for you? Like, from, from day one of being a freelancer, being, an, being self-employed, were you motivated
0: Dude, by impact in the beginning? Let me, ask you, let me ask you a question. Sure. Was there a point in your life as a human mm-hmm. where you didn't wear any clothes? Yeah. I guess as a, you're like wearing, as a baby? Yeah, but you're wearing clothes now. Why?
1: Uh, I get because I'd probably get in trouble if I didn't.
0: <laughs> here's here's the beautiful analogy: is everybody starts at a certain place where certain things are acceptable, True. and when you're struggling, you you have a responsibility to to your family to provide their security and to provide your own safety and lifestyle and all those things. But the mistake is not that I am motivated by self. Uh, incentivization. That's not the mistake. The mistake is to stay there in a place where you are exclusively focused by your own lifestyle. When people do that, they rob themselves. It becomes arbitrage at that point. I'm going to take a little from you, Mm -hmm. give you a little bit and call it service. But the main point of my life is me. And as a child, uh, children aren't looked down upon for not having clothes, but adults are because it's not a mistake to be in that phase. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely a mistake to stay there. That's my opinion on it.
1: Mm, okay
0: that's a great that's a great uh, analogy
1: um, the second part of energy okay we've touched on psychological energy let's talk about um, biology like what are some of the things you're doing some of the hacks whatever you want to call it to optimize yeah. your, your physical energy
0: best of all time is sleep so I got an aura ring and uh, I got an aura ring before they were cool by the way my buddy told me about aura like two and a half years ago now everybody has them, uh, but they're amazing. They're like the coolest devices. Do you have one? No, no, I don't. Yeah. So they track your sleep. They're going to track your HRV and just keeping your sleep healthy and all those things. Um, and then also uh, biologically making sure that you have enough water. Um, if you go through my offices, there's eight closures over there and they've all got like jugs of water on their desk. They're just chugging it all day. It keeps you hydrated and healthy. It keeps your brain working, exercise. Um, and then understanding for me, Patterns mm-hmm. in my own energy, and there's food and all of those things as well, um, but for me, everyone has cycles, this is where my self awareness has served me a lot that people it, this is where my self awareness has served me in a way that wouldn't make sense is I know that once a week for the past however many years, I wake up at least one time and i every day I wake up and i 'm not in a good mood first of all, so I wish I was one of those cool cats who just like sprung out of bed and was like happy as a lark, but I'm not I'm like, okay. I hate my alarm clock right now. Like that's me at four 30 in the morning. But I noticed that once a week there was a day that I wasn't actually recovering from that. And I have cycles and everyone has cycles. Typically here's what you know, the things that refresh you when they stop refreshing you, that means you're at the end of a cycle. Pay attention to that. And so when you're stressed out and you're tired Mm -hmm. and you're like, I'm just going to go to bed and get a good, nice rest. At the beginning of a cycle, that works, but at the end of a cycle, it doesn't work. You wake up and you carry it with you the next day. Or when you're like, man, I'm going to go bowling or go out and drink with friends or whatever it is that you do that tends to give you a reprieve, you know, you're at the end of a cycle when those things no longer work. And my, it, my cycle is like six weeks pretty much on the dot. Like it doesn't matter how much sleep I get. It doesn't matter uh, how, many, how many books I read. I'm just like kind of generally pissed off. And so I've kind of learned to manage that and put in breaks and put in vacations and different things like that. And then every week, there's kind of a a lag as well in my energy. These are called lag days. I think we've taught on this before inside of TF, where once a week, myself, all of my team, we will forsake our routines. We will sleep until we want to wake up and we'll have a Jeff Bezos style morning, which if you know, Jeff Bezos is preferred morning. He just meanders around, reads the news, does whatever he wants, and then mm-hmm. gets into work. And so that was probably a lot of information dumped on you, but like patterns.
1: Okay. No, that, that's good stuff. And, and in terms of the, the, that one day a week that you're doing that, so you're basically anticipating that your energy might be off at this point of the week and just building into your routine some room to do whatever you want, like take the pressure,
0: take the pressure off. 100%. And the it could be – It could be a Thursday. It could be a Tuesday. Maybe I have a sprint of eight days or four days or whatever. But what I'm doing is I'm saying, no, it's going to be on a Wednesday. And it might have been on a Thursday, but I'm actually going to make it on a Wednesday. I'm going to rest in the morning and recover from it. That way I have control over it. And it's not random. It doesn't sneak up on me, you know?
1: Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, We've touched on this a little bit. Um, we've, uh, We've talked about fear. But I am curious, at this particular stage in your life, are there any are there any fears that um, that weren't there
0: before that are there now? I'm kind of yeah. I think I'm a, There are times when I wake up and I'm still. There are still fears sometimes that it's like, you know, is this going to end?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is this going to last forever? Like, we. I know that this is unfounded. It's an unfounded fear, but it's like. We're at this place. We're making more money than we've ever made in our life. People love us and we're making this impact. But is this real? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of like, there's probably a lot of people out there who won't admit it, who are like, quote, internet marketers and stuff. And they're like doing really well and they're posting, you know, all of their on the internet and they probably struggle with the same thing. But for, for me, it's like, I have to acknowledge those fears and deal with them and journal about them and process them through and okay. usually i come to this this place where i'm like this is a silly thing to fear you know it's so like stupid okay. and i can move on
1: yeah and and how how often are you journaling and what like like how how much of your time is spent on like reflection and
0: journaling and and things of that nature about 20 minutes a day and, and an hour and a half on the weekends but i'm journaling okay. every day yeah every single day
1: okay and that's
0: helped you Yep.
1: Awesome. Um, you strike me as somebody that um, is very certain. Like, I imagine that it's difficult for somebody to throw you off track. Like, you've got kind of like this intensity of focus on where you're going, your vision, and your goals. Where Where does what where, where does that certainty come from? Like, what, have you always had that certainty even
0: before you had the results? I think part of it is a bit of personality to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um part of it too comes from from vision as well because i don't know about you but when you when you wake up and you read where you're headed and you actually buy into that not like not like oh you know i, w- I want to be a rich person or some stupid like that but like here's how many c- case studies i want from our companies you just, you begin to become that person okay and neurologically you actually be- your brain begins to change this is real science like you have new pathways that begin to move themselves around based on what you're telling yourself every single morning. And so I think part of that certainty could be some personality, but I think a lot of that certainty is I have a $140 million real estate portfolio and I have over a billion dollars in reported client revenue. And I have all of these things and I'm not there yet physically, but mentally I might as well be like, it's mm-hmm. who I'm becoming every morning, and there's a lot of certainty that comes from that. When a key employee quits to do his own thing, or when uh, this ad account gets shut down, and it's just like a normal person would be like, "Well, maybe I'm on the right, I'm on, I'm on the right wrong path. Like this is what I'm supposed to do." But for me, it's like there's no options, there's no yeah. outs like that because I'm already there. You know what I mean? Yeah,
1: yeah. No, that that makes sense. And w- when you mentioned um, that, you know, at some level, there's a fear that everything could go away. Uh, Even if that were to happen, do you have more certainty in your ability to rebuild and reacquire with the skills and the connections that you have now? Like, even if somehow you lost everything, you could probably get it back. Um, So, perhaps that certainty outweighs the fear of that actually happening.
0: Yeah, well, there's no chance that everything, there's no chance that the real estate market crashes, the sales economy crashes, online marketing goes away, Facebook, YouTube, and Google shut down, all at the same time. Like, there's... Yeah. That's what I'm saying like it's a silly thing to fear but just in the process of like getting it out on paper like dealing with it it doesn't it doesn't become a part of my identity and a lot of people fear a lot of different things but they don't deal with it so that that's the difference between having a fear and being a fearful person is whether you're willing to deal with it and move on. Got it. Okay, cool.
1: Listen, we've, we've covered a lot of good stuff and I know we're we're coming up on the top of the hour here. So I got a, a couple of quick questions for you. And just to get a little bit of understanding of like, you know, what, what's happening behind the scenes? What are some some tools and systems that that you're using to run things? Um, and I have one question about how you're actually allocating revenue because this was somebody that a- asked me to ask this to you. Um, you know, knowing that a lot of people throw out revenue numbers and how much they earn revenue, but like what, you know, how was that money actually allocated? So maybe use the example of when you hit seven figures per month. Do you know roughly how that money was allocated? How much was for advertising? How much was for team? How much was for profit and so on?
0: Yeah, we have about two hundred and ten to $220,000 a month in payroll. That includes revenue production commissions. So that's a variable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's going to be around two hundred to two hundred and twenty dollars uh, per month. We have, I mean, if you look at, at gross margins, which is just cost of goods sold, which is the cost of advertising, we're like sixty-five to seventy-five percent uh, profit margins. When you okay. take everything out and take everything down to the very net, 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 uh, we'll we'll try to get ourselves to about twenty-five percent, twenty-five to thirty. Every single month, we're cleaning out, so we have a KPI. We carry seven figures in cash, just because it's like we never know what what could happen or anything like that. So we keep those, you know, eyes crossed and all of those things, or dotted eyes and crossed T's. Mm-hmm. That's the phrase. We clean out the account every month and put that into revenue producing assets.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So. Okay. Yeah. God, and that, and hence, hence the moving money into real estate
1: and other, and other projects.
0: Yeah. Because we're with the money that's in the, and it's, and it's crossing over an LLC boundary as well. So okay. it's also, we can get into like how the, how everything's structured as well, but it's it's crossing ownership boundaries, and it just it's really it's really good to for us. I know like other people keep all their money in their business. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't got do that. It. And you've got four four businesses, or are those technically four LLCs? Four LLCs, four bank accounts. They funnel okay. up to a giant holding company. Yeah. The only thing that's that we're not really counting revenue on is wealth cap, which is only real estate. It does produce. Rental income, mm-hmm. but it doesn't tie into our revenue figures because it's in, inconsequential. Got it.
1: What are some of um, your favorite tools, software, things that you're using to
0: manage your business on a daily basis? HubSpot. It's probably my favorite right now. Okay. It's expensive, and I love it. I could play in it for hours, which is the worst use of my time ever, but you know, sometimes you just need to get into software. Yeah, got
1: it. Uh, who are some people that, um, that you're either being mentored by or that you consume their content or you, you, learn, you pay to learn from them? What, what are some of the people you're learning from at this stage?
0: We have one re, like, actual mentor. His name is Jay. Um, Jay Abraham. Jay Abraham. We pay him for one-on-one help and consulting. He's been our mentor for two years now. and mm-hmm. He's awesome. And we love him. Outside of that, we don't have anybody else that we pay right now to mentor us. But I'll tell you this, like, I'll mentor under anybody. Uh, I'll mentor for, I'll mentor under you if you make less money than me. But you're good at something that I'm not good at. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we have tons of people that we learn from. We are constantly even investing into mentors for our staff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty amazing what you learn. And you you actually grasp this concept that you can pay money to learn from somebody else's losing money and get the skills and not have to go through it. That's pretty amazing. It's one of the greatest freaking inventions people hate on the info business. I'm like, it's literally amazing that like somebody can go through a bankruptcy, recover from it, put together all of the lessons that they should have learned and you pay them $20,000 and therefore you don't have to go through what they went through. Like, dude, that's awesome
1: man the fact that we can buy a book for 20 bucks and it took somebody 20 years to compile those insights is blows my mind yeah it's living a good time for sure true uh you turned uh did you turn 30 yet are you 30 this year
0: i turned thirty three months ago wicked and oh, yeah. uh and you're a dad this year too right i turned 30 and then i had a baby within of like three weeks span. So,
1: so it's been, it's been a busy, it's been a busy year, big, uh, exciting time for you. How, um, is the way that you, has your outlook changed in any way because of that? Um, has the way that you define success changed at all now that you're, you know, a bit older, not so like not so much motivated just by lifestyle, probably barely even motivated by lifestyle, way more motivated by impact and the amount of, uh, people that you're helping through your companies. But how, um, how would you say that your, your definition of success has evolved?
0: Yeah. So it hasn't actually been as big of a change as I thought that it would be because everybody was like, Oh, your world's about to change. Like everything's going to be so different. And I was kind of afraid of it because I was like, (laughs) "I kind of like the way that I am and the way that I think. And, you know, sure there are things to learn, but I feel like I'm pretty well tuned. Like I don't want anything coming in and completely jacking me around. Um, So it was a fear thing, but dude, it, it's been great because I feel like my reasons have increased. My reasons for pushing have gotten better mm-hmm. or at least they've gotten less centered on me. And, uh, you know, my, my baby girl, her name is Kate. She turned nine weeks this morning and she's amazing. And, uh, I'm just like, you know, I, my biggest reason for pushing right now is like, I still want to change the world and I want to help a lot of people. But there's also this caveat in the back of my mind that says she's going to pick a husband one day based on whether how that person stacks up to me. Yeah. And I want to be a example. freaking good example. Yeah. You know, like, I don't yeah. Know. So that's, that's a, that's an interesting factor and an interesting driver for me, you know? Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. I, I can relate to that. My, my daughter is uh, so seven, maybe eight months. I think she's turning eight months old this month. I'm trying to be the, to the example, right? The primary example of for her, at least. Yeah, yeah, 100. percent. Cool, man. Uh, well, listen, you. I, thank you so much, first of all. This was this was a lot of fun. Um, I really looked forward to this. You, we've covered so much in this amount of time we've had together. You and your and Chris and everyone on your team. You guys put out a ton of content. So I'm going to encourage anyone who's 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 listening to this interview, go and check out Traffic and Funnels. You've got. Your podcasts, you've got memos, you've got, um, of course, there's all these more in-depth training products and programs and so on. Just check your stuff out. You guys have been great. I've been a client. Uh, it's because of you guys that I was able to um, replace my income from my job. I left my job beginning of January 2019. It took me three months to surpass what I made on a on a, on a decent salary. Um, and just onwards and upwards for me, man. So uh, there's a testimonial from me for you guys because I couldn't have done it without your support and without your training. Um, on that note, can you leave us with just one specific action step? What's something that people can do after after listening to this interview to go and, go and change something, go and implement something to bring them one step closer to building a life and a business on their own terms?
0: Like practically, behaviorally, like mm-hmm. kind of just, yeah. If you don't like to read... Start reading, doesn't matter if you like it, suck it up. Change those neural pathways. People are like, man, you're lucky because you like to read and I'm like, you have no idea. I did not like to read. I changed that about myself and you can do the same. Wake up earlier, sounds really cliche, but when you wake up before everyone else, you tend to have this mirror effect, mirror neurons that makes you believe you deserve what other people don't deserve. That's gonna be really important. When it comes to pitching a ten thousand dollar client, and everybody around you is only pitched a two hundred fifty dollar client, you're gonna to have to believe that you deserve it. Mm-hmm. So, an easy way to do that: just wake earlier than everyone else, put in the work, no one's no one else is putting in. It's gonna change your deservingness. It's really important. So,
1: awesome. Well, thank you so much, man. It's been a pleasure, and I wish you all the best. And I'll see you in Nashville in a couple of weeks.
0: You are the man. See you guys.